So Joshua chapter 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot would tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. To the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little one, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. They answered, Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will also obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. When I was in school, uh, when I was in high school and college and seminary, I had a very simple way of kind of determining whether I was successful in a particular class. And that was a letter grade. If I got an A or an A plus in, the, in a class, I considered that to be a success. If I didn't get an A or an A plus, I considered it to be a failure. Now, thinking back on that, that was a really poor way of judging a success of a class because there were a number of classes that I got A's in that I didn't really learn much of anything in. And there were some classes that I didn't get A's in that I learned a whole bunch. I remember one particular class in seminary, and I wondered the whole time that I was taking the class whether I was going to pass, and yet that was the class, one of the classes I learned the most in all of seminary. So I was fixated on that grade, on that number, and I think in a similar way, our culture is fixated on this idea of what it means to be successful. In our culture, I think that we define success this way. We define success as achieving what we want to accomplish in life. Achieving what we want to accomplish in life. And what are some things that people might want to accomplish? They want, might, might want to be famous, might want to have a lot of money, uh, might want to be healthy, be physically attractive, be an authority in their field or their career. 
So those are the things that we use to kind of define success in our culture. The problem is that it's hard for us to get there. It's hard for us to achieve success in those ways that we would like to achieve success. And the reason is that success is often out of our hands. There are factors in our life that may prevent us from having success. Where we grew up, our genetics, our networking, how many people we have with certain resources in our circle of influence. There are some things that are impossible for us to achieve, impossible for us to be a success at. And let's, let's say I wanted to go and be in the NBA. And I decided I was going to quit being a pastor and I was going to, be, to go to the National Basketball Association. There would be a number of obstacles that would prevent me from getting there. Number one, genetics. I'm 5'10". Number two, I never really played basketball growing up. I, you know, I'd play here and there, but I never played on any teams growing up, so I'm really not that good. And third, my age, most people wouldn't want a 31-year-old new basketball player in the NBA. So it wouldn't matter if I quit being a pastor and went to the gym 10 hours a day and worked out. I'm, I'm not going to the NBA. So there's factors in our life that sometimes prevent us from being successful, and failure is more common than we like to realize. Uh, Stephen Bauman, in an article, writes this. 75% of venture capital-backed startups fail. 95% do not meet the initial expectations. 40% of CEOs don't last 18 months. 70 to 90% of mergers and acquisitions fail to add shareholder value. 81% of new hires don't work out. 99% of new patents never earn a penny. 95% of new products introduced in a given year fail. 68% of information technology projects fail to meet their goals. 88% of New, Year, New Year's resolutions end in failure. And he concludes with this, 100% of human bodies fail. And I think about that and think about the world's understanding of success. And I wonder if Joshua struggled with that idea of success. I wonder how he understood success. He had been an assistant of Moses for quite some time. And I think it's safe to assume to Joshua, Moses was the man. He had it all together. Moses was the one who had received the law on Mount Sinai. He's described as a servant of the Lord. He's the one that led God's people out of Egypt. And yet now, Joshua's hero, Moses, is dead. And God comes and speaks to Joshua and says, I want you to go into the land that I've promised you. God had promised the Israelites a certain piece of land, in the land of Canaan. And he had given that promise way back to Abraham hundreds of years before this. And uh, he promised Abraham three things. Number one, that he would be blessed and be a blessing. Number two, that he would have a child and become a great nation. And number three, that he would have this land. Now, he was blessed. He did have a child. He was, did become a great nation. But he hadn't, they hadn't achieved the land promise yet. And so God tells Joshua, I want you to be the one to take this, this promise and take hold of it and enter into the promised land. But this wasn't the first time that people tried to enter into the promised land. Forty years prior to this, uh, God, or Joshua, or Moses sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to kind of stake out the land. And all of those 12 spies came back and said, the land is prosperous, uh, there are giant uh, 
pieces of produce there. It's a wonderful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But ten of those spies said, we shouldn't go there. I mean, the people are really strong. The people are really mighty. It doesn't matter what God says. We just need to stay put. We shouldn't pick a fight with these people. But there were two spies that said something different. One of those was Joshua. One was Caleb. Listen to what Joshua says in Numbers chapter 14. The land which we pass through to spy it out, it is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's what Joshua said to the people of Israel. The thing is, from a human perspective, the majority, the ten spies who said you shouldn't enter into the land of Canaan, they were, from a human perspective, right. The city of Hazor, which was in Canaan, consisted of 26 acres of the upper city and of the lower city was 160 acres. There was estimated that there was 40,000 people that lived in that one city in Canaan alone. The walls of this city were up to 24 feet wide at places. So it was human, it was natural for them to be afraid of these people of the land from a human perspective. So what did the people of Israel do when Joshua gave this command that we should go and take this land? God will be with us. We can do this. The response was they tried to stone him. He said, no, we shouldn't go. It's suicide to go and fight against the Canaanites. We can't do this. It doesn't matter if God is with us or God is not with us. We can't do this. They are too strong and too mighty. And so God judged the people of Israel because of their failure to be obedient, their failure to trust him. And so they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God said that I will not allow the, this, this people, this stiff-necked people who came out of Egypt to enter into the promised land because of their disobedience. But also, Moses wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land either. The generation that came out of Egypt wasn't able to enter into the promised land, and neither was Moses. So I wonder if Joshua had a little bit of anxiety or trepidation as God tells him to do this, and yet Moses, his hero, was not successful in leading the people to do this. His hero, the one that he was an assistant to, his mentor, so to speak, wasn't able to do this, and now God is calling him to do this. Then we miss or overlook one aspect of the text that's significant. God tells the Israelites to cross the Jordan River. We think about that, okay, they're just cross the river. But that would have been an enormous task. The Jordan River is basically in a ravine, and it's very deep in some spots. And so they had to get men, women, children, livestock, the Ark of the Covenant, across this river to enter into the land of Canaan. So that's just one more obstacle that's in front of Joshua. And so... There's three obstacles. He has to convince the Israelites to go into Canaan to fight against these powerful armies. He has to get some way across the Jordan River. And then once he gets there, he has to find a way to defeat these armies and these cities that have 24 feet uh, feet thick walls. So it seems like there's a lot of obstacles to Joshua's success. And I wonder if he was concerned initially about this task. Wonder if he wondered, are they going to stone me? Are they going to listen to me? Once we get there, can we really take them? 
But God responds to Joshua and he tells them a number of promises. It's overwhelming the number of promises that he gives in this passage. In verse 3, he says, God says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Verse 5 says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 6 says, For you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 9 says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you know how we can sum up what God tells Joshua in this passage? He tells him you're going to be successful. He tells him you're going to succeed in the mission that I've called you on. The people will listen to you. There will be a way to cross the Jordan River. You will defeat the armies of the land. It doesn't matter how strong their fortress is. The walls will come crumbling down at the word of my mouth. And he says, I'm with you. I will sustain you. And so God guarantees Joshua's success, so that's no longer a question that he has to consider. He no longer has to wonder, how am I going to convince these people? How am I going to cross the Jordan? How am I going to defeat these rebel armies? God assures him that he's going to be successful. He doesn't have to think about that any longer. Yet he does have a part to play. God tells him three times in this passage And the people of Israel tell him once, be strong and courageous. You could also translate that, be strong and be bold. He also tells Joshua to be careful that he keeps the law, to speak the law, to meditate on the law, to do the law. So God guarantees Joshua's success, and he tells Joshua, all that you need to do is you need to trust me, and you need to obey me, and you're going to be successful. You don't need to worry about success any longer. You just need to trust and obey me. See, God guarantees the success of his people when his people trust and obey him. God guarantees the success of his people when his people trust and obey him. See, when we're facing a difficulty, sometimes we ask the wrong question. When there's a mountain in front of us, we ask, how can I get over this mountain? Am I going to be successful in scaling this mountain? When we should be asking ourselves, how can I be obedient in light of this mountain? And when we do that, when we trust and obey God, we're guaranteed that we'll be successful. But when I say that we're guaranteed that we'll be successful, we're not guaranteed in the way that the world defines success. Because again, the world defines success as achieving what we want to accomplish in life. We're not guaranteed that. But we're guaranteed God's version of success. The Bible's definition of success. And the Bible defines success this way, achieving what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Culture's view is achieving what we want to accomplish in life. The Bible's definition of success is achieving what God wants us to accomplish in life. And often those two things are not the same. As human beings, we want to get over the mountain as quickly and as easily as possible. But sometimes God wants us to pause on the mountain. Sometimes he wants us to take the long, slow, winding road up the mountain. We need to change our focus about what success means from what we want to what God wants for our lives, what he wants to accomplish for us. Famous 20th century educator Henrietta Mears 
in her book, Dream Big, The Henrietta Mirror Story, puts it this way. Will is the whole man active. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it. I must will to obey. When God gives a command or a vision of truth, it's never a question of what he will do, but what we will do. To be successful in God's work is to fall in line with his will and to do it his way. All that is pleasing to him is a success. All that is pleasing to God is a success. It's not success as we define it. It's success as God defines us. And so if this is true, that God guarantees the success of his people when his people trust and obey him, what difference does that make in our everyday lives? What are some implications of that fact for us? First is we don't need to fear failure. We don't need to fear failure. We're freed from the pressure and the anxiety of having to perform and to be successful as the world defines success. We don't need to become somebody. We recognize that we can be successful in God's eyes even if we're not successful in the eyes of the world. 1975, a man named Roger Hart conducted an experiment uh, or study about how safe children felt in their hometown. And so he went to this little town in Vermont and he kind of observed them and just kind of watched where they would go. And then he plotted on a map how far they were allowed to go from their home. And what he found was remarkable. Even children who were four or five years old traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods. Once they got to 10 years old, most of them had the run of the entire town. And the kids' parents weren't even worried about them. Then a few years ago, I guess it was around 2014, he went back to that same city and he documented the same thing but for the children, uh, children's children who he had originally studied. And he, what he found was remarkable. As he looked at the places where the children played, they rarely left their own property. They le- rarely left their own backyard. But what's also interesting is that the crime level had not changed at all. The crime had not gone up. The only thing that had changed was fear was introduced. And as fear was introduced, the circle that they were allowed to travel in was narrow. In a similar way, when we enter, we allow fear to take control of our life, it narrows what we can do. It narrows what we can accomplish. But the gospel and the good news that God gives us is that we don't have to worry about being a success. We're freed from that fear, and we're freed to honor and serve our Heavenly Father. And so that means we don't need to overwork to attempt to become somebody. We don't have to try to achieve something on the, on the career ladder so that we feel good about ourselves. Because we know who we are in Christ. We don't have to hold tightly onto our money because we recognize that God is in control and He's the one who gives and takes away. We don't have to put a stranglehold on our relationships and worry whether this person likes me or that person likes me. We simply do what God is calling us to do today. And when we do that, we're free. We're free to serve God. We're free to serve others with open hands, without an agenda without trying to accomplish something or be somebody. It's remarkable what we can accomplish when we're not afraid of failure. The second implication that this truth gives us is that we do need to fear God. We don't need to fear failure, but we do need to fear God. Because our success is not guaranteed. 
There is a way to waste our lives, and that's by failing to obey and trust in God. And sometimes I think that we fear failure a little bit more than we fear God. Imagine if I were to tell you that I had a scientifically proven set of, set of steps that you could follow. And if you follow these steps to the letter, I will guarantee that you will live to be 100 years old. You will never have any pain. You will never be sick. You will never have to have surgery. If that was the case, most of us would probably sign up for that if it was guaranteed. What if I told you that I had an economically proven set of steps that you could follow that would guarantee that you'd become a millionaire within a year? How many of us would do that? Probably many of us would. What if there was a relationally proven set of steps that you could follow that would guarantee that if you're not married, you'd find a spouse, and if you are married, that you would have a happy and healthy marriage? Would you do that? Would you follow those steps? What if there are a proven set of steps that you could follow to ensure that your children turn out the right way, that they'll be honoring to God, that they'll have a health and a good career? What if, what if I could guarantee that? Would you follow those steps? How much energy would we expend on these things? If there was a guarantee we could be healthy, wealthy, have good relationships, have healthy and happy children, how much would we be willing to give? We'd probably be willing to give quite a bit. If we were to spend so much for those things, how much more should we be willing to spend to ensure that our lives are successful in God's eyes? How much time should we be willing to devote to reading God's Word, to meditating God's Word as it speaks of in this text, to allowing it to become a part of who we are? How hard would we fight against sin, those things that are keeping us down and keeping us from the Lord? It's guaranteed. If we trust and obey God, we will be successful in God's eyes. It's simple as that. The question is, are we going to trust Him? Are we going to obey Him? 1940, a man named Clarence Jordan opened a farm uh, called Koinonia Farm in Amicus, Georgia. And uh, this was supposed to be kind of a haven for racial unity and cooperation But in 1954, the Ku Klux Klan burned every single building on that farm except for Jordan's own home. And as they were burning the farm, he heard the voice of a local newspaper reporter. The next day, that same newspaper newspaper reporter showed up at the house. The rubble was still smoldering, and he found Jordan doing something interesting. He was out in the field planting seeds. The reporter said, I heard the awful news of your tragedy last night, and I came out to do a story on the closing of your farm. Of course, he was probably filled with glee as he seemed like he was discouraging this man as he was a part of the Ku Klux Klan. But Jordan just kept planting. He kept sowing each seed. He kept hoeing out the ground. And the reporter continued his prodding with no response from Jordan. He didn't say a word. Finally, the reporter said, wait a minute, you've got, you've got two PhDs, you've given 14 years of your life to this farm, and now there's nothing left. How successful do you think you've been? That statement finally got to Jordan. And he stopped what he was doing in planting the crops. And he said to the reporter, 
You just don't get it, do you? You don't understand us Christians. What we're about is not success, but faithfulness. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to faithfulness, to trust Him, to obey Him. And He'll figure out the results. He'll guarantee that we're accomplishing what He wants us to accomplish. We simply trust Him and obey Him. He will go before us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your love for us. We thank You that You free us from having to become a success in the eyes of the world. That our identity is secure in You. We thank You for the promise that when we trust You and when we obey You, You go before us. We don't have to worry about what we accomplish. You'll accomplish what You want through us. Lord, I pray that as a people, we would trust You. That we would obey You. That we would seek You as we would seek other things. That we would fear not pleasing You like we would fear failure in other areas of our lives. Lord, Give us the strength to do that through your Holy Spirit. Give us the motivation to do that as we see the love that was shed on the cross for us, as you gave your son's life for us, so that we might be free, so that we might not be condemned, so that we might not have to be somebody, but that we can be sons and daughters in you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you do for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.